0: So it's fall, and you know what that means? It's time for pumpkin spice flavored products. Everywhere. Think about some of these products that we've seen. Would you try, for example, pumpkin spice candy corn? That seems somewhat normal. Or, or not, you know, way off in left field. How about a
1: pumpkin spice hummus? Yeah, pass. Pumpkin spice Pringles. Like, we just, it's not necessary. We just don't need it. Well, how about instead of eating it, how about you use pumpkin spice latte deodorant? If you wanna have a variation of your dessert, Or some sort of a beverage, maybe. Like, I can kind of half get behind it. I probably won't get it. But, like, if we're doing, like, pumpkin spice bacon and stuff, then I'm going to have to throw the flag on
0: that. So then I guess what you're saying is the pumpkin spice dog shampoo is right out. We don't need fragrances. I'll give you your candle. But I don't want to see, like, you know,
1: new body wash in the shower.
2: Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physicians' practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Now,
1: here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to Episode 191.
0: I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, welcome to Autumn, Autumn and the Touchpoint Podcast. Pumpkin Spice Touchpoint. <laughs> we will be changing our album cover
1: artwork to kind of a burnt orange for the fall. And that would be kind of a froth that you notice kind of around the edges.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> no, we will not. We will not be doing that. But we are super excited. Uh, Not excited about all the pumpkin spice products. Am excited about everybody coming in, listening, hanging out with us uh, for just a bit. We've got uh, kind of a cool show today. We sure do. Before we get to that special plug for the website, touchpoint.health, we've got a couple of new shows out there. The Morning Fix, uh, as well as Healthcare Insight for Marketers. Both new shows, both have come out in the last couple of weeks. If you haven't uh, had a chance to subscribe or listen, I would encourage it. And also check out the other ones that are on the network. And so you can do that by, again, visiting touchpoint.health. And you can find out a little bit more certainly about those shows, but also you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, a little email that comes out every Monday morning called the TPS Report. Five, six stories from around the industry. Uh, It's just a great aggregation of a few really important things that you may want to check out to start your week and a few links and all that kind of fun stuff. So let's pause here while you go do that. And then we'll be uh, right back with today's show.
0: and build a reputation that performs for you. We've been talking about the pandemic for a long time and its impact on health systems. And there's been so, so much shifts to things that are going on in our industry that's just Really important for us to keep an eye on. You know, the consumer mindset's changing. There's a shift in the way consumers trust healthcare systems, even new ways to approach care. Just so many implications that are relevant to health systems. And so today we're going to be talking about that in our episode.
1: We are, we are, and we're excited. This is a little bit of a different format than we normally have. And so a lot less of you and I talking. As a lead up and the interview itself will be a little, little bit longer. and Both of us will be taking part. So super excited to have Isaac Squires on the show. Isaac is a partner here at Girard. We'll bring a lot of insights and a lot of uh, interesting thoughts to this conversation. And so we're basing this around our recent study that we did, which was the second kind of in a series. You and I, Chris, of course, talked about the first one that we did back in April. This is one that was in the market in August and so we'll, we'll kind of dive into that. I'm not going to spoil the, the, the leads or anything like that, but we'll uh, jump in, talk to Isaac, go through really what some of the findings were uh, and kind of how that trended from the first time around. Uh, and then also we'll leave you with, uh, you know, if you're interested, you know, where you can go get this information
0: and download it. Without further ado, let's talk to Isaac.
1: All right. And we're back. Thanks again to Isaac Squires for joining us. Isaac is a partner. Gerard Phillips, Kate Hancock, where I spend my days. Thanks for coming on for
3: a few minutes. Yeah, really glad to be here. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk
0: more about data and what it means. Data is very important. Isaac, I know Reed works with you. Can you share a little bit about your background so people listening in, they may know sort of your history and what you do there at Gerard?
3: Sure. So I spend my time here at Gerard in the regional and community health system practice group. Uh, so focused on um, hospitals and health systems. I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions and issue navigation work. Uh, my background goes back 20 plus years. I've always done some form of healthcare care uh, consulting. I also did uh, a stint in sort of pure elected politics. At one point in time, I'm, I'm recovering from that. Uh, And that's part of where we at Girard take a a campaign approach. So having data uh, is important, but more importantly, what do you do with data and what do you do with perception around message and messenger and campaign development uh, is a real passion of mine and and one of the reasons uh, that I think that this survey is so interesting.
1: Very cool. Well, Okay, so you mentioned the survey. So just as a little bit of a a precursor, we're going to get into all the new data. And and for those that that may be listening to the webinar, this this may go a little bit deeper, have some similar things there. The Opportunity of Trust is the name of the executive summary. Again, anything we talk about today also, just let us know. We'll have links in the description, all that kind of good stuff. But if you're interested in some of this information, we're happy to get it out to you. But maybe start with a little bit of a setup. So we did one of these, and they, you know, everybody listening, heard Chris and I talk about the results of that some months ago now. But we did one; we did a survey back in in April. So maybe talk a little bit about the first survey, uh, why we did it, and kind of how that led to now this this second iteration.
3: So back in April, when the quote-unquote unprecedented times uh, were beginning, (laughs) we really wanted to take a look at where providers stood in the realm of public opinion and what issues were particularly important at that point in time. I mean, obviously we had a sense of what they were, but we wanted to get a, a better sense. So we looked at things like trust, safety, Uh, and other issues at that point in time when coronavirus was still relatively new. Now that we are many months on into the situation, uh, we wanted to, again, look at some of those same kinds of issues, see how things had changed, if they have, uh, and if so, how. And we also wanted to look at what the new issues or emerging uh, issues are relative to coronavirus and and how things have changed uh, since April. So things like vaccines, for instance, is is something that we really drilled into in this survey that we did not cover in the first.
0: The results that you found, you actually kind of summarized them into five major findings. So if you don't mind, Isaac, we'd like to go through each one in turn. And the vaccine one is the one that jumped out at me as the probably one of the most interesting findings of all. So let's talk about that a little bit. What did you find in this survey around vaccinations and how people are perceiving them right now?
3: When we began putting this survey together, the issue of vaccines was definitely on the radar. I mean, we know there are any number of consortia that are working toward vaccines People were starting to talk about, hey, you need to think about getting your flu vaccine. And there was beginning to uh, be a little bit of data sort of trickling in around how people were feeling about the prospect of a coronavirus vaccine. And so one of the things that we wanted to to look at is how uh, likely people are to get vaccinated uh, once the vaccine or vaccines become available. One of the things that we know is that it's going to require a certain level of either exposure to the virus and or vaccination to get to a place where we can get back to some semblance of norm- normalcy. And our country is not taking the sort of herd immunity through exposure approach, I think smartly. And so a vaccine is going to be really important. And, and what we found in our survey is that just over half, which is really not where we need to be, frankly, say they are extremely or very likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine. We're not where we need to be. And so one of the things um, that we found particularly interesting is that women, 44% of women uh, say they are extremely or very likely to get vaccinated, which is obviously uh, lower than where we would like it to be. Um, Women make a lot of healthcare decisions uh, for families, of course. Black and African-American respondents, uh, 36% said they were extremely or very likely to get vaccinated. And those without insurance, just under a third of people without insurance said they were extremely or very likely to get vaccinated. So some particular sort of demographic and, and subgroups that are going to be important to address, uh, as well as regions. Uh, the southern region, less than half of people are extremely or very likely to get vaccinated, uh, according to our survey. So there's some kind of troubling spots um, as we think about vaccines becoming available.
1: What does that mean for the folks listening? So those implications, if you will, for hospitals and healthcare systems and trying to, you know, kind of prepare, knowing that this is the way, the way people are thinking, you
3: know, what does that really mean? So it's really important. As I said, you know, estimated 10% of the population has been exposed today. Mayo Clinic has some information out that that says that, you know, we sort of estimate 70% of people would need to be exposed to get to herd immunity. And so that means we likely need to reach 60% or more uh, vaccination level across the country. And and right now, the national dialogue appears to be undermining trust uh, in the vaccine process. And there's some real concerns out there. So for for healthcare providers, um, the first vaccine could be available in November, December, and healthcare workers are likely to be a priority group. So as we think about that fact, our internal uh, vaccine evaluation criteria uh, and and the process for evaluating vaccines is really important. What are we doing as providers uh, to assess the vaccines themselves? There are also logistical issues. You know, how is the vaccine going to be shipped? How is it going to be stored by providers? Um, you're only going to have a limited window when the vaccine is out of storage to actually get it into people. Um, are we going to require uh, staff to get vaccinated? All of these issues really need to be solved for now and effectively uh, communicated.
0: I can imagine that could get very uh, tricky in terms of communicating that, particularly when one of the results of the study I found fascinating is that even those people that are within the healthcare setting themselves are a little bit hesitant about the vaccine, and they may have misconceptions too, right?
3: That's absolutely right. I mean, remember, um, people who work in healthcare are also members of the general public. Looking specifically uh, at some of the uh, concerns that that people have, side effects, uh, getting infected, 47% uh, of the general population were worried about side effects and 22% were worried about getting infected from the vaccine. So if you sort of take that down to your point, Chris, what we found with regard to those who are connected to healthcare 40% are are on the fence or are not at all likely to get vaccinated. And so we've got a real education uh, and activation effort to undertake uh, as providers.
0: One of the things that is interesting that you're you're actually putting forward is some of the opportunities here is that the trust with doctors and nurses is still pretty high among the population. So are, are you suggesting that we use that, leverage that trust as healthcare providers to maybe shift the conversation away from maybe the politicization of the, the virus or the vaccine, I should say, uh, into actually some effective public health measures? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Comparing uh,
3: levels of trust on critical healthcare information from April to the, our most recent survey, doctors and nurses and hospitals have extraordinarily high levels of trust, uh, mid 80s and higher, uh, again on that critical healthcare information. We also asked a question about how people felt about doctors and hospitals educating and engaging on critical healthcare issues around COVID. And 86% expect doctors and uh, hospitals to be engaged on this issue. So frankly, not only is it an an opportunity, given that we have significantly higher trust levels than any other sort of quote-unquote official uh, messenger, um, frankly, it's an expectation that people have of us to be engaged uh, on this issue. And so with an expectation really comes the need to do that lest we let people down and undermine the trust that people have for us today.
0: Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
1: Let's rock on down here to our, to our next finding, which is uh, probably nothing that, you know, you say this out loud and people can go, well, sure. But the, the impact that coronavirus has had is quite large and sustained. We're all working from home. Uh, my kids started school via computers, you know, football which if, if you look at the amount of money that, you know, the NCAA generates through football is uh, mind numbing a little bit. And so for that to be delayed. So we've seen this huge impact. But, Isaac, what did we see both in April and then again in in August as it relates to you know, what does that mean for most Americans? Like what kind of impact are we seeing?
3: Number one, people are still really scared they're really scared of getting the virus. Uh, so that sort of pervades everything that we're doing as people and, and as, as a country. I think for providers, uh, one specific finding uh, that's important is the impact on the economy and the fact that people have lost jobs or had wage cuts. And that sort of trickles down into a finding that we've, Uh, have one in eight Americans losing their health insurance as a result of the pandemic. A huge increase in the number of of uninsured people. And frankly, I don't know that we have yet to to see that sort of impact come out. But I think fear uh, and that loss of insurance um, are two issues I think that are impacting uh, providers significantly today.
0: That reminds me of a recent study that Gallup did talking about the economic impact of the pandemic. You earlier mentioned in the previous finding that black minority communities are the ones that kind of have a distrust with the, the health system, which could potentially impact the perspective they have on vaccines. Well, they're also the ones that are. Kind of bearing the brunt of this, right? Uh, Gallup said that those underserved communities, people making less than sixty thousand dollars a year, have a higher likelihood of losing their insurance and also a higher likelihood of worrying about the cost of, of care. If you
3: think about the recovery that we're seeing, you know, things that I've been reading increasingly are, are looking at sort of the, the K-shaped uh, recovery, where those who are more fortunate are, are recovering faster, and those who are uh, in a less fortunate position are, are not recovering. And so I think you see that bear out in terms of what jobs are coming back and, and how quickly and, and insurance. And I think there's a real challenge there for providers
0: um, in many ways. But you also put forward a, a couple of opportunities for health systems. So let's talk through some, some of those more hopeful approaches that, that we as in the healthcare community can start to, to leverage.
3: Yeah. So one of those uh, really relates to trust. And again, looking back at um, the the trust uh, comparisons from April to now, we know uh, from our from our research that today providers have a pretty healthy advantage, um, frankly, in terms of trust with regard to payers. So how we approach our engagement with payers, potential contract negotiations with payers, et cetera, uh, in this moment really needs to take into account, we think, that trust advantage. And so uh, that's a specific opportunity that we think exists today, and and it's one that needs to really be thought about um, and, and and leveraged if possible.
0: There are th- three additional findings that we have, and so um, when you talk about you know that that trust, that kind of leads into the third finding, right, which is around that this trust can create some opportunities for providers around messaging around safety. So let's talk a little bit about that.
3: Sure. Yeah. You know, I mentioned that fear uh, component. One of the things that is uh, important to realize for providers is that that fear is impacting um, people's sort of willingness to uh, get care. Our opportunity uh, is to use that trust to deliver messages that are meaningful for people as they consider care. So One of the things that we we looked at uh, is how safe people feel in in particular settings, like a doctor's office, hospital for routine scheduled care, outpatient surgery center, hospital for emergency care, urgent care center. And all of the mean scores on a one to 10 scale were below six. So generally speaking, people are not necessarily feeling uh, all that safe in care settings. Uh, And so we've got some work to do there. And we know that as a trusted voice, we have an opportunity to share safety information around uh, what we're doing to keep uh, people safe.
1: And I think something you said there. So, you know, being able to share that information, but specifically being able to show them the safety pieces, I think, is becoming more important. And so not just telling them. That we're being safe, but you know, we we talk about the uh, you know what would you know relieve some of that anxiety, and people want to know about these new procedures around cleanliness and infection control and things like that. And so that's where I think you know, especially the marketers that are listening can dive into social and, and, and some of these online mediums to really be able to show it through video animation things like that. Uh, I think is going to continue to be important, certainly.
3: Yeah, you know, Reed, One of the questions we we asked is, you know, regardless of how safe you feel today, what would make you feel more safe, basically? And uh, only six percent of people reported that, uh, the media saying it's safe is, is going to make them feel more safe. So your point around sort of taking messages directly to people digitally, visually, et cetera, and and really taking that message directly to people in a compelling way is, is really important. It's not just about your press release saying, you know, here are our procedures. You
0: really got to show it. Reed and I covered recently a study by McKenzie. They refer to this as hygiene transparency, which I found to be an interesting turn of phrase. Um, But I think that that's becoming important for for many brands to sort of embrace that, right?
3: It's absolutely the case. I mean, the screening patients before they enter the facility is important. Um, Masking requirements for everyone in the facility, 38% said that is important. And in terms of Reed mentioned sterilization and cleanliness, right, that's also a top factor in people feeling more safe. So um, being transparent around that is important. And, and it's a little bit more than, just again, just saying it, um, you know, actually showing it and, and being truly transparent around that.
0: You know, and I'm finding a lot of organizations, healthcare organizations that are partnering with other businesses to help advise them on uh, safety, you know, even like airlines, you know, just there's been a lot of uh, conversations recently about major health systems partnering along with like these major corporations around this. I think that's an additional opportunity that uh, we in the healthcare community can use those partnerships as a way to continue to reinforce the trust that we're being safe.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the more that people can show that they're working together uh, in this moment in a meaningful way is is really helpful on a whole bunch of fronts. It shows coordination. um, It shows buy-in and, you know, frankly, given where the country is, sort of that, that we're not fractured uh, on this issue, um, sort of pulling together and, and talking about partnerships that are working and, and showing that they're working is, is, is really an opportunity that people should be looking, looking for.
1: Well, the next uh, number four on the list here is, uh, is an interesting one. And one, and correct me if I'm wrong, Isaac, but I don't think we asked or talked about in, in April. I think this was kind of new for this, this last time around, but was this idea of advocacy, this heightened trust uh, uh, with the consumer. It's created some opportunities, right? So people don't feel terribly safe in healthcare settings, but they have this positive perception of, of telehealth. People using telehealth, you know, obviously spiked. Um, and I think it's come down a little bit, you know, starting to kind of plane out. But there was an interesting question there about funding. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Yeah. We asked people based on their knowledge of of how much uh, hospitals and health systems had received so far from the CARES Act, whether or not they thought that they should receive more money or whether or not they thought it was enough or that sort of thing. And uh, the majority, 60%, I believe, said that they think hospitals need more funding. And so you know, if you think back to, to where the industry was at the end of last year, first part of this year, you know, a little bit under attack. And now people are, are feeling that we need that hospitals need more funding. So obviously, there are opportunities to think about there, uh, both in terms of federal and state money that may be available, and people should be Um, making sure that they're leveraging that trust um, and that belief that we need more funding in this moment around those opportunities for sure. And one of the things where that could be right is, is around telehealth. People love it. And if people think we need more money and we know that they love telehealth, Um, And we have a plan to expand it or make sure that it remains really strong for those who are doing it really well already, really hardwiring it in. There may be an opportunity to leverage that belief that we need more money for telehealth, for instance.
0: You know, telehealth is a great example of how we as a healthcare industry sort of embrace a new modality of care. I'm curious about your thoughts around just generally the e- economics, Isaac, of, of the industry itself, because, you know, the pandemic is causing a lot of toll here. I, I I totally agree with this finding around advocacy. Do you think that the sustainment around the trust that we have and this, this belief that, you know, the health system needs more infusion and economically. Is that playing out uh, economically for the healthcare industry in general?
3: I don't know. I think it remains to be seen. I mean, there's so much national policy that is going to be sort of fleshed out in the coming months. Frankly, in the lame duck session, you'll have, you know, obviously the ACA will be heard by the Supreme Court, Congress uh, left town to go campaign without um, another stimulus bill. Um, You've got the presidential uh, election, which is, to to state the obvious, is is really tumultuous and and I think will be. So I I don't know that we, as an industry, how we know all of that is going to shake out. And so I think it's really important that we work to keep the trust that we have today so that however... Uh, things shake out uh, in the coming weeks and, and you know, few months, um, we're in a position to be strongly advocating for what is going to serve providers uh, in, a, in a really good way.
0: And this leads really, um, you know, really concretely to your your final finding which i also think is a very uh, important one which is around using the people that work for your organization as powerful ambassadors but uh, as we mentioned before some of their trust is starting to slip too so let's talk a little bit more about some of the findings you you, you see around that
3: our people are our biggest they're our most important audience. Friends and neighbors turn to people who are in healthcare to, to ask questions uh, you know, about what they should do. Should they go to the emergency room? Should they go to their doctor? Uh, my mom, for instance, is, is having a, a knee replacement surgery uh, in October. And um, she decided to, to move forward with that after she found out that um, another physician of hers was also having a knee replacement surgery. So if we can help our people to feel safe and help the resiliency of our people in this moment and, and keep them aligned with where we know our organizations need to need to go, then they can be um, ambassadors and advocates and share messages with those people who they come into contact with, their friends, their family, their parishioners, uh, et cetera. We, we really got to have them solid uh, about how they feel about us um, as, as employers and a, as an industry so that we can keep the trust, so that we can share information that matters, and so that we can get people to uh, do the things that they need to do, like get vaccinated um, moving
0: forward. You know, we recently did an episode about the state of mental health and the healthcare providers, and we know that there are a lot of organizations that are now realizing that this pandemic has caused like an unbearable, you know, toll on on our workforce. What do you see, Isaac, with uh, some of the the organizations that you are working with? It seems to be a, a more of a heightened awareness of that, and and working closely with their their workforce to rally them, so to speak, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's really important. I mean,
3: physician burnout has been, you know, a topic that people have been talking about for, a, you know, quite some time. And that is a heightened concern. But thanks to coronavirus, you've got, you know, basically organizations and, and their people under a, a level of stress that they've never seen before and for a really prolonged period of time. And it just weighs on people. And so working on employee resiliency and rallying around the mission uh, of, of hospitals uh, and kind of keeping people together uh, and moving forward is really, really important. And, and a lot of folks are paying really close attention to that and, and implementing ongoing programs to support employees to take care of their mental health and to really help them in this In this really incredibly stressful time,
1: this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate you you coming on and kind of talking through a few of these things. I know we, you know, we obviously did the the study or the survey back in April, and then again in August. I know we're, you know, kind of thinking or talking about, you know, what do we do from here? And so probably more to come on that. But uh, certainly we have all these findings and resources and all that kind of good stuff on on the Gerard website but feel free to either reach out to myself or Isaac and we'll make sure that we you know get you the certainly the executive summary or the slides. Uh, happy to do any sort of a debrief with you on the topic in your organization if that's helpful Anything you you want to
3: add Isaac, just a thank you, I guess. Um, I know that people who tune into you guys are out there doing the really hard work. And so I, I, I just wanted to say thanks. It's really important, obviously. We've needed it like never before. And uh, so just just a real word of appreciation and um, and heartfelt thanks.
0: Well, thank you, Isaac. We really appreciate your time today. This has been very helpful. So thanks again. Thank you.
1: Uh, well, special thanks to Isaac for coming on the show. I know um, this is uh, a topic that he has spent a lot of time with, uh, both from a surveying standpoint and from a uh, you know producing all these materials and thought leadership and all that. So it was great to have him come on the show uh, and talk a little bit about it. Uh, and again, if you are interested in that information, just reach out; we'll, we'll, we'll get it to you. So. All right. Uh, before we get to recommendations, couple of uh, you know we're going to mention a couple of things that are coming up specific to what, what used to be in person events. I guess we've got uh, a couple of conferences in October. The one of them being
0: uh, the Smash Conference that you're involved with. That's right. That Smash Conference is focusing on the post-acute care space. Uh, I'll be that's between October 19th and the 23rd. I'll be kicking that conference off with a workshop on building an effective B 2 B to C strategy and how to use digital and all of that. That should be a fun conference. And there's, there's links in the show notes. You can also go out to my LinkedIn and you can see some uh, other of the speakers that are there. It's really an exciting time. So look forward to seeing you there.
1: Then we also have in October um, another conference from, uh, from Shishmet, from the AHA. So I know we had the uh, the one back in uh, September. Uh, this one will actually be more kind of in place of the traditional kind of marketing conference, if you will. Uh, so you can be sure to uh, check that out as well as a few weeks after that is the uh, HCIC at home, the healthcare internet conference. So of course, uh, it will be virtual much like everything else has been this year and uh, some links and
0: whatnot uh, there. All right. Uh, recommendations. What do you, what do you have today? Great. I'm going to recommend a TV show that we started watching on Netflix called Away. Have you heard of this? I have not. It is, I guess they call it a science fiction drama web television program. It's about a group of astronauts that are traveling to become the first people to land on Mars. So it's, a I think, a 10-episode series on Netflix. It stars Hilary Swank as the lead character and it has a, a variety of other people. It's, it's not only the characters that are on the spaceship, so to speak, but also the real life drama of their families left behind and what that all looks like. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things that reminds me of like sort of, uh, an approach of storytelling like Lost from a long time ago, but it's it's very dramatic, very interesting, and very well-acted for sure. So um, I would recommend for anybody that's kind of interested in, in a nice program that's focusing on space travel, you know, a little bit of escapism from all the day-to-day stuff that we see today, it's, it's a little inspiring. So um, I'm going to recommend that, Away on Netflix. There you go. I'm also
1: going to recommend a TV show, I don't think I've recommended this before. Ted Lasso. Oh, no. Have you watched Ted Lasso? Okay. No. Ted Lasso is on which station? It's Apple. Apple TV+. Plus. Okay. I'm trying to remember between all my streaming services. (laughs) Um, So it's called Ted Lasso. Uh, Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso, which I like him anyway, so he's pretty funny. He is a uh, successful... Kind of mid-tier football coach in America, who gets hired by an English Premier League uh, soccer team in London to come coach their football team. So, see, we got football and football, but it's not the same thing. Okay. Again, not to spoil anything because it it pretty much gets to this right off. But uh, the lady, the owner of the team, recently divorced. This is all she got. I say all she got. This is what she got in the divorce from her super wealthy husband. Is this soccer team, of which her husband loves? It's his beloved soccer team, and so she's trying to submarine the team basically by hiring this American football coach.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: And it's hilarious, and it's feel good. It's it's uh it's interesting. It, it's uh it's kind of a neat show. So it's actually coming out once a week, like a. TV sitcom would, but you can go ahead and watch, I think, about the first maybe nine episodes, and I think season one only has maybe ten, if I remember right, or something, so we're almost to the end. So by the time you watched uh, the ones that are there, you would You'd be there. So anyway, that's my uh, that's my recommendation for today. And um,
0: awesome,
1: yeah, awesome. yeah. Well, appreciate everybody for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Uh, again, best way you can help us out is make sure that others know about the show. So rate, review, subscribe, tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell a coworker. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.
2: This is High Stakes from Gerard, Phillips, Kate, and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes, the new podcast from Gerard, Phillips, Kate, and Hancock. I'm David Schifrin. The world is full of outstanding healthcare podcasts, covering everything health tech, business and finance, venture capital, healthcare marketing, innovation, policy, pharma. The industry is well covered by brilliant minds and good conversations. This isn't that. Instead, High Stakes gives you concise, insightful takes on the issues affecting healthcare providers today. We cover strategic positioning, issue navigation, change management, mergers and acquisitions, marketing, digital transformation, patient experience, executive leadership, healthcare governance, and much more. We ourselves are avid podcast consumers. And because of that, we know that not every episode is relevant to every member of the audience, no matter how specialized a show might be. So our goal with High Stakes is to provide a wide range of ideas and insights using a variety of formats. In this feed, you'll find an audio version of our High Stakes blog. You'll hear short interviews with our friends and clients. You'll hear what our founding partners have to say about current events and news stories and how hospitals and healthcare systems should respond. Occasionally, we'll bring you long form conversations with national healthcare leaders. We at Gerard understand that the stakes are high for healthcare leaders. Every day, you're making bold decisions in a noisy, evolving industry. High Stakes puts you in the room with us and our more than 150 cumulative years of healthcare strategic communication experience so that you can not just survive, but lead the transformation of our industry. With offices in Nashville and Chicago, Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock is a US top 10 strategic communications consulting firm for the nation's leading healthcare providers experiencing significant change, challenge and opportunity. Founded in 2006, the firm has worked with more than 50 clients in over 40 states and served as a communications advisor on more than $60 billion in announced M&A and partnership transaction communications. With all that experience, we hope you join us as we explore the transformation of our industry. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and check us out at gerardinc.com. That's J-A-R-R-A-R-D-I-N-C.com.